our first official episode of Intern. Today, our main focus, our topic is going to be Gen Z. Because this podcast is developed to foster a dialogue between students, employers, recruiters, and the like, I feel like it's necessary for us to begin by laying the groundwork, right? Just getting everybody up to speed, getting everybody on the same page, just kind of a general idea of who Gen Z is and who the other generations are. So that way we have an idea of all the players on the board so we can all have a mutual understanding moving forward. So today I'm really excited to dive into this topic. I feel like it's very necessary. There've been a lot of conversations happening recently where I'm out to dinner with my parents. Um, I'm a millennial, my parents are boomers. So I'll be making references to things like that throughout this podcast. I feel like I will be out to dinner with my parents who are boomers and a table over, there are some other boomers that are talking about hiring or their teams, and they'll be complaining openly about how this generation or kids these days, or as some of my friends like to say, back in my day, when we like to poke fun at other generations. And I want to begin with this idea that in order to make assumptions about a community, you have to have an understanding of them. It's really unfair to make broad assumptions about an age group, uh, you know, cultural group, a uh, racial group, um, you name it, right? So I think first and foremost, it's seek first to understand, right? <laughs> Before pointing the finger at somebody else and saying, well, this person's not reacting the way that I want them to. So the problem, the blame must be on them, right? And saying that the problem is that generation as a whole. I think the other aspect to keep in mind is we're talking about people in general, right? We are talking about generations. We're making broad assumptions. But when it comes to people that we know and love that fall within that generation, we pick and choose when it's a negative characteristic, right? So if those managers are making assumptions, those boomers are making assumptions and pointing fingers, oftentimes it may not be a characteristic that they cast upon their own children or their nieces and nephews, right? Because some of those people are millennials or Gen Z, depending on the individual, right? So I just want to begin our dialogue today with the idea that seek first to understand at the end of the day, we're all human beings. There are, there are broad things that we're going to be talking about that are really specific to these, you know, generations, but it doesn't mean that these characteristics can't cross over, right? At the end of the day, we're all human beings. We all fall into the hierarchy of needs. We all want to have shelter. We want to have happiness. We want to have, you know, food. These are the things that make life worth living and that are essential to living. And this is what's really going to lay the groundwork for the rest of the conversation. So I will be referring back to this episode quite a bit throughout our journey 
to really just, again, lay that groundwork and lay that foundation of who Gen Z is, who the other generations are, who these key players are on the board, and how we can get them to interact. So I'm going to be making a couple references throughout our podcast today where I'm talking about key players in the community. There's a lot of really great resources out there about Gen Z, which is what has inspired me to capture my thoughts on all of these source materials and create this podcast. One of those being um, this great book called Generation Z Goes to College. Full disclosure, I haven't finished it. I'm probably just about a third of the way through the book. Um, But I think what's really great is all of the information that I've absorbed in that first third of the book has really inspired me to include it in today's episode. It's super helpful. There has been conversations I've had with Dr. Phil Gardner from Michigan State, who has really helped lay the groundwork for recruiting trends every single year. So Dr. Gardner actually puts together a study um, and surveys different employers and surveys, you know, um, different key players in the industry to get a broader picture of recruiting trends. Um, Dr. Monica from the University of Tampa, she and I had a relationship uh, working together probably about five years ago at this point. It's been quite a while. But there have been some great conversations through these recruiting trend conferences, other conversations that have really helped me understand this generation and understand my audience, right? Because as a campus recruiting professional for the past almost eight years, there was a transition between recruiting millennials, which was, I don't want to say easy. It wasn't easy, but it was you know, the home team for me, right? I'm a millennial. So it was a bit less of a challenge to recruit millennials because I knew what motivated them. I was, um, I'm, I am a millennial myself. Whereas when Gen Z came on the market at the time, the team I was working with, one of us was part of Gen Z, but was a cusper. So I'm going to introduce that term as well. And we faced a lot of challenges and Diving in and really studying our audience and getting to know what motivates them and what makes them different from millennials and what makes them similar to everybody else at the end of the day was really helpful in refining and tweaking our strategies and coming up with creative and innovative ways to reach them better. So all of that to say, I'm really excited to dive in and uh, just begin our conversation today. So I'm going to be referencing some notes. If you see me glancing over, I know um, when I record this way, my video is very small anyway. So (laughs) you're probably not even really looking at me, which is fine. Uh, But I want to say really quickly, this is why I like to do my podcast on YouTube so I can provide some visual aids. Um, In these first few episodes, it might not be the most helpful, but next episode, we're actually going to be diving into some material that can be helpful for professionals as well as the early talent space for my students, my interns, my recent graduates, I'm going to talk about the number one mistake that people make when it comes to curating their LinkedIn or their resume. And I guarantee you probably about 90%, if not more of you are making this mistake. So as a recruiter, I'm going to talk about that in our next episode. So that's a little commercial for what's to come in a few weeks. 
I want to start today with a foreword. I think it is really important to note from this book, um, they really nailed it on the head, Corey and Megan, when they wrote this, um, that some of the thoughts I just kind of shared, right, they echoed about, and I'm just going to read it verbatim from, from the book right here. Not every Gen Z student will align with every find or every topic in that book. And thus, it's important to recognize and validate the differences among individuals in this group. And I think this next statement they make is applicable to all in any generation or in any group. Just because an individual aligns with the generation does not mean he or she will exhibit all the characteristics of the generation in its entirety. So basically what they're saying there is we're going to be making broad assumptions based on data. They did a study with multiple universities across the United States. This is really focused just in the U.S. And they talk a lot more about it in the book and you can read it for your own. You can order the book on Amazon. It's super easy um, to just get it delivered. But I think that's really important to note that they, they even go on to say the trends and behaviors that they discuss are what they see in tendencies of the group. It's not going to guarantee that every individual is going to act in accordance with it, right? So they talk about the idea of the gig economy, that Gen Z likes that idea of selling things on Etsy or you know, getting a, a different looking career than your traditional boomer eight to five, right? So my cousin, who's a member of the Gen Z um, generation, right? Who's a member of Gen Z, um, is creating his own business where he's studying under a woodworker and is actually an apprentice to learn how to create his own furniture and sell it. So a prime example of that gig economy, jumping on those trends, Etsy, Uber, DoorDash, those types of organizations. And so what I wanna add to this forward is this idea of kids these days. Right. So like I was saying earlier, kids these days where it's so easy to just point the finger. Right. And so they talk about this in the book and they say each generation has experienced being kids these days. Right. But as every new generation emerges, it's subjected to a certain level of disdain from the previous or older generations. Right. So, you know, think about when rock and roll music came out, right? When Elvis Presley was on the scene, right? It was like, oh, kids these days, they want to dance all provocatively, right? And those became, you know, our parents and grandparents and so on and so forth. So keep that in mind. So when you're seeing these trends that are coming forward and you're like, oh my goodness, kids these days, it's normal. Every generation has to make their mark in their own way. So I think that's a really important thing to note. Um, I want to also, in this forward, introduce the term cuspers. I don't believe they ever use this term in the book. And I, I don't know if this was just like a pop culture thing that we adopted or how we came up with this terminology. But uh, for example, Gen Z is classified, I believe, as those that were born from 1995 through 2010. So you might have this individual who was born in 1994 or 93 or 92, right? 
my myself, I was born in 1992. I am a millennial. I'm on the tail end of being a millennial. But sometimes I find myself adopting the trends or um, ideologies or characteristics of a Gen Z, right? We talked about the gig economy. Um, when I was laid off in 2020 during the pandemic, I really doubled down on my Etsy store. I launched a podcast. This is my second podcast, right? So it's that idea of um, these terms and these ideas are not mutually exclusive to just one generation. So there'll be your cuspers that are on the tail ends of these generations that tend to, you know, adopt these characteristics or have some of this cross-functional characterizations um, across the generation. So keep that in mind as well. You might find yourself being a cusper or your children or your students, your interns, things like that. All right. So let's go ahead and start talking about it. Our boomers here. So as some of you may or may not know, the boomer generation actually gets their name baby boomer from the surge of babies that was born after World War II. So this is between 1946 and 1964. So my father was born in 1960. My mother was born in 1962. So my mother is a bit of a cusper. Sometimes I can see her adopting more of that Gen X versus my father, who's a bit older um, than my mother and does not always adopt um, some of these ideologies or technologies or anything like that as quickly. Uh, my father's father was a soldier in World War II. And when he came home, they had four children. Um, <laughs> so it is not, um, it is not <laughs> a false name by any means, right? So this generation believes that hard work is the path to success. And by the path to success, what I mean is the American dream. Boomers were coming of age in a time where the American dream was the ideology. Having the white picket fence and 2.4 children, <laughs> right? Um, and working with that traditional strong work ethic of eight to five mindset. When I was first coming into the professional scene, I graduated from college in 2014, and my, my father had been working for almost 30 years in his uh, given trade. He worked for the same organization for that pretty much that entire time. So by the time it was my turn to look for a job and really start my career, and I was kind of struggling with what I wanted to do in life like I talked about in the intro episode, my dad being <laughs> the loving parent he is, uh, recommended that I check out the classifieds and just go to businesses and drop off my resume. Because when he was coming of age, that was the norm, right? And so, you know, I'm going to do another podcast on this in the future, how the job search process has not really changed broadly over the years. But the job application process has, has adapted quite a bit. So just keep that in mind as a millennial for myself, at least that when my parents or loved ones from Gen X or other generations give advice as right now, I'm searching for a career opportunity. I take it with a grain of salt, right? I have a friend who's a member of Gen X who said to me, I'm surprised you don't have a job yet. It's been a month. 
You should be doing 20 job applications a day and da, 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 da. We're going to talk about that in the job searching podcast coming up on my, my ideas around this. Um, but you know, some people could, could be offended by that and have their feelings hurt to say like, why, why does my friend, you know, think something's wrong with me or think I'm doing something wrong. Um, whereas I took it as this person believes I'm talented and is shocked that an organization has not thought the same to hire me yet. So that is really something to keep in mind again, when you're having challenges and experiencing this is keeping those things in mind when your parent gives you advice that's very frustrating to you. Keep in mind the environment that they're in on a daily basis, if they're retired, right? What they're hearing on TV or what media they're consuming. And just keeping in mind when you're dealing with anyone and, and experiencing friction or challenges. Baby boomers, they have a very important role. Um, and a lot of these generations play important roles in different ways. Uh, but baby boomers play an important role because they are parents to millennials. And oftentimes, millennials are now the managers to Gen Z. Um, you know, the baby boomer generation is retiring at a crazy rate, an absolute crazy rate. And it's making way, way, way more opportunities for millennials to move up into those mid-level and senior level manager positions. Um, since some of them are in their 40s, some of us on the tail end of millennial age are in our early 30s now, right? Myself included. Um, so we're, we're going to experience a big shift in the corporate space in, in the working world. All right, so Gen X. Poor Gen X, the redheaded stepchild of generation. They don't get talked about enough. So Gen X was actually raised during a time where there was this generational shift between boomers to Gen X, where it became more of a norm for both of their parents to be working. So a few of my mom's close friends are actually in the Gen X um, generation. And when I was reading the chapter that was outlining the generations, it was really interesting to me to take those characteristics and apply them to my aunts and uncles, my family, friends that fall into these categories. So Gen X was really that middle child, right? That gets kind of skipped over and not talked about as much. Um, they were known as latchkey kids because uh, their parents were working, right? So both parents were working and no, mom wasn't a stay-at-home mom anymore. So in some cases, of course, again, we're making generalizations, but in some cases, um, both parents were working in most cases. And the mom was not home waiting with the afternoon snack and checking your homework and you know, having you go outside and play. Um, we, we were coining this term for them called latchkey kids where they would have to let themselves in to the house after school and be independent, make their own afternoon snack, take the bus by themselves, not have anyone waiting for them, right? Do their own homework on their own and wait till their parents would get home after five o'clock and, um, you know, then have that family time. So that's kind of the hallmark of this generation is that independence. Um, these images are really interesting to kind of show you the makeup of their minds, right? And what kind of um, brands that they've really adopted, right? So um, that gives you a better idea. 
And on this side, uh, these are some of the hallmarks of their generation, like video games, the OJ Simpson trial, um, the AIDS epidemic, the MTV generation, they're lovingly called very often the MTV generation. Um, so keeping that in mind, but again, very similar to boomers, Gen X plays a very prominent role in our conversation because they are parents to Gen Z. And so what's interesting about this is because they had this independence as latchkey kids, they really uh, foster that independence in their children. So not that my parents didn't foster me to be independent, but um, I had a babysitter after school because my, I didn't take the bus. I didn't have a way to get home. So I had to be at the school till 5.30 when my parents could pick me up. Um, so we had after school care is what they called it back then where we were out on the playground, we would do homework, we'd play video games, things like that. Um, whereas Gen X as parents really puts an emphasis on balancing their work and family. So it's not uncommon for them to be business owners or try to break away from that baby boomer eight to five because they do really put that strong emphasis on family. A lot of the members I know in the Gen X community either work from home or own their own business, make their own schedule. Um, my aunt, who is a part of the Gen X generation, is an accountant. She and her husband own a business together. And this afternoon, we're going to a baseball game. It is a Tuesday as I'm recording this. I'm unemployed, <laughs> so I uh, get to you know take advantage of these opportunities to spend time with family. Uh, but it, I think it is just a great hallmark that she's parent to a Gen Z, um, to Gen Z um, children, and um, really has fostered that balance between work and family. So next, we're going to talk about millennials. So I think what's interesting about millennials, and uh, as you can see in this graphic, if you're watching here on YouTube, is that millennials are the me generation. So in this graphic, everything is like pointing, all these arrows are pointing to this person, which is why I chose this graphic in this graphic alone as the me generation, right? So millennials, especially when we hit the job market, and I'm gonna be saying we as a millennial, when we hit the job market, we're widely criticized. I remember when I first started working, I would hear a lot of things about millennials. There was a lot of criticism I heard from family, from coworkers, things like that, that, that millennials were often criticized for being entitled, that we expected things to just be handed to us. And, you know, this was our perception that we're self-interested, overconfident. The book literally says this word for word, right? So they sum it up really well. Um, you know, we are interpreted as this participation trophy generation. Um, I myself can't say I ever got a participation trophy. I was not really involved with athletics, but I will say um, there were instances where I could, I could sense that, where I could, I could see where that's coming from. Millennials also have a hallmark of a strong support system from boomer parents. And again, we're making broad generalizations here. Um, there's actually in this study, they, they found that more than half of millennials, even those that were working full time, indicate depending on financial assistance from their family. 
And, and I myself fall into that category. So what's interesting is you may not feel like that as you uh, initially just upon hearing that, but I would challenge you to think about that, right? So when I first graduated from college, I was living in an apartment that my parents were helping to pay for. I was working a part-time job um, that almost had full-time hours. It was so close to working full-time. Some weeks I worked overtime where I was making enough cash to help pay for like groceries, pay for gas in my car, clothes, you know, textbooks, insurance for my car, a couple things here and there. And I would work full-time during the summer. Um, but oftentimes I was relying on my parents to help cover costs. Um, and when I graduated, there was absolutely no way I could have survived on my own without living under my parents' roof. Um, it just was not possible. I would have gone into debt. I would have had to take student loans. I would have had to do whatever I needed to, any kind of debt I could, to, could get in order to survive. So I'm very blessed to call myself in that category as a millennial that had a support system. I was working very hard. I felt like I was at least um, to make ends meet, but still had to rely on my parents for a lot of it. Oftentimes, uh, you know, we're criticized for putting off starting a family or buying a home. Um, I bought a house in 2020 as soon as I got, or 2021 rather, as soon as I got a new job and had saved up enough cash for the down payment. Um, but I recognized that I had a lot of advantages um, that other people in my generation may not have had. So I recognize that privilege, absolutely. Millennials are also to date the most educated generation with one in three obtaining a bachelor's degree. Both of my parents did not obtain their bachelor's degrees. My parents worked very hard to afford me the opportunity to go to college and get a bachelor's degree. Now, the next generation after, I feel like I don't know what will happen. And, and I haven't read this far into the book yet if they talk about it, where um, because Gen Z's a bit got their hands in these different buckets of the gig economy and things like that, um, it will be interesting to see how advanced the education goes into the master's degrees, doctorate degrees, and, and the like. So that brings us to Gen Z. So Gen Z is characterized of those born between 1995 through 2010. They're considered digital natives. They are currently a third of the population um, as of the year 2020. And they are the most racially diverse generation to date. They have a strong work ethic that's similar to boomers and the resilience of their Gen X parents. They are arguably even tech savvier than millennials. And as Dr. Mani would call it, the cell phone is an extension of their arm. You know, when I was growing up as a millennial in the early 90s, I had a boombox with a cassette player. I had a CD burner. I played games on the computer. I read books. I, you know, I had all of, I had a camera with film. My grandma would literally buy rolls of film and give it to me, not just a disposable camera, a real like camera where you had to load the film into it and pull the thing and whatever. And I would take pictures of stuff in the neighborhood and I would have to go to the drugstore, drop off the canister of film, get the photos developed, pick them up, all of that stuff. Um, and all of those things I just mentioned now that Gen Z can do with the device in their pocket. 
most of them, the book goes on to say, had a smartphone um, by the time they were in middle school, if not sooner, a majority of them. Some of the characteristics that Gen Z believes applies to themselves. Loyal, compassionate, thoughtful, open-minded, responsible, and determined. What's interesting and what the book uh, Gen Z Goes to College goes on to discuss is a lot of Gen Z characterizes themselves in those categories, but does not see their peers that way. It's this idea of me, but not you, or I'm a millennial and I feel like this is true for millennials, but oh no, some of these other people, I'm better than them, right? So I just think it's very interesting that across the generations, we can do this to each other and kind of point out the negative things and point fingers at each other. But within the generations, it seems like we might have a tendency to do that as well. Now, what's interesting to me is the motivators for Gen Z. More than 70% of Gen Z is motivated by not wanting to let others down, advocating for something they believe in, making a difference to someone else, having the opportunity for advancement, and earning credit towards something. And what's furthermore, in my opinion, interesting is they would rather have the opportunity to earn credit than a gift card or some type of reward or recognition. Now, they are not motivated by public recognition, acceptance from others, competition with others, or the idea that someone will return a favor for them. I feel like as a millennial, those are all things that motivate me. So I just think that's really, really interesting. And last but not least, despite being concerned about financial stability and career stability in the future, only 28% of Gen Z students would say that they're motivated to work harder or stay with an employer for financial gains. Whereas almost double, 42% of millennials would say that motivates them. So now I wanna transition and I want to talk about some of the things that I ended up changing in my recruitment marketing strategies and um, the efficiencies that myself and my teammate Savannah came up with. So we worked for a financial planning company and we gave a presentation over four years ago. I think this was like back in 2018 or 2019 in the fall where we talked about um, some of our best practices. So I'm just gonna hit you with some of them here. Um, we had a mentality where we used to say serve first and recruit second. So what I mean by that is we don't mean that we're just handing out, you know, giving out handouts or not working <laughs> to recruit people, but it really resonates better with Gen Z to not have that slick corporate marketing, to really hear those genuine experiences from individuals that have done the internship or have worked for the organization or whatnot. So we would go out and do, you know, um, these philanthropic events in the community. We do team building events. We do fun things. And while we were out doing it, we would broadcast it on social media. We would talk to people. So we used to do this where we would help students with move-in day at universities. And while we were doing it, we would advertise, you know, our opportunities for internship and career opportunities. 
So I think it's great employer branding, which is a big part of being in recruitment marketing and being in uh, talent acquisition in general. This next one I want to talk about is looking unapproachable. So there was an instance once where I was at an event at the University of Tampa and I worked for a Fortune 100 company. So I was in my, you know, Calvin Klein dress. I had my blazer on. I had my Dooney and Burke purse. I was in, you know, six inch heels. I'm pretty sure I'm five two. So I have to, you know, really try to look professional in those environments and high heels is part of the uniform. I had my hair and makeup done all nice. And I remember in the beginning of this sales competition event, there was a student who came up to me and he said, wow, at the end of our interaction, he said, wow, you're nothing like I expected. You're not as intimidating as I thought you were. And for me, you know, I feel like I have this bright, bubbly personality. I love talking to students. I love helping people. And my Dooney and Burke, by the way, is a Walt Disney World purse. It has Mickey Mouse on it, like literally a doodle of Mickey Mouse. Um, as I'm sitting here drinking water out of my Minions cup, like this is just in my Star Wars office with Marvel stuff on the walls. Like this is just who I am. So I thought that was a eye-opening moment to really think about how if you're dressed that professionally, it can be intimidating to a younger person or a member of Gen Z. Um, where they feel like you're unapproachable and you feel like you look professional and that will attract them. So just come something to keep in mind. I just think that's so interesting is, you know, when you're at these career fairs, try to look more approachable. I mean, of course your company culture is going to have a certain wardrobe expectation. And of course your university, if you're a student is going to tell you um, that you should wear a certain wardrobe. Um, but personally, if somebody is running in between classes and they're in, you know, athleisure and they're coming up to the table, I don't mind it. I, I, maybe it's from working for a tech company now, but I'm more interested with your mind and really your ability to work and your heart and your passion than the way that you dress, especially on a college campus. I think it's really just that idea of putting yourself in someone else's shoes you know, when you're at a career fair and you want to be approachable, try to minimize your setup because if you're a student, again, and think about the last time you went to a career fair, it's daunting when you're a job seeker, whether you're a student or a professional, you have so many choices on the menu to meet all these employers. And it can be quite intimidating when you walk up to a table and there's flyers everywhere and you don't know where to start and you don't know what to say. So having just a simple setup with really fun swag, because everybody likes swag, just having that simplified, a couple flyers, maybe business cards, some fun swag, maybe even like um, games or interactions. A lot of these employers at events now have lounge furniture, so you can sit on a couch and just have a conversation. They might have a coffee station or snacks. It's just that idea of making it more approachable. Having some digital friendliness, right? So there are some students that will print out resumes, but it's not as common anymore. And as a recruiter, for me personally, it's more efficient if they just apply online. If they go through the website, it's going to be so much easier. And I'll take a paper resume if I want to write, you know, a couple great notes about meeting that person or connecting with them on LinkedIn, like immediately after uh, having a conversation. Uh, but just simplifying that setup, having a flyer with a QR code or a, a photo with a QR code, they can just scan from your banner, from a, a table sign, a flyer, something that will just direct them to the website. You can have them watch YouTube videos. A lot of employers now have setups that show these videos that show 
employees. Um, we used to have a carousel of videos that would play that had me and my colleagues in the videos that were at these events. So it wasn't like this slick marketing. It, I mean, it was a cool video. It, we had a professional video company make it, but it was local and it was, you know, the people that were representing the company. So like I mentioned, this generation is not focused on making money, but rather making an impact. So what does that look like for your organization? So when I worked for a software company, that was all about stopping cybercrime and helping save organizations millions of dollars um, and things like that, right? When I worked for a financial planning company, it was helping people plan for the things they don't ever want to have to imagine and protecting them against, you know, the worst things that can happen in life. If they're sick, if they're disabled, if they're injured, if they unfortunately lose their life, how can they protect their livelihood and the livelihood of their family and friends, right? So those are two easier products, quote unquote, <laughs> employer brands to sell to Gen Z because there is a linear connection between your role in the organization and the broader mission and how it helps people, right? So that's why nonprofit work might be attractive to this generation and things like that. So keep that in mind, um, leading with that in impact. I used to say when I was working at the financial planning company, our interns say that the best part of the internship program is that it allows them to make an impact in their community and really help people. Is that something you're interested in learning more about? And that was a genuine question, right? It was a genuine impact. It has to come from a genuine place. If it's not genuine, if it's not part of the company mission, it's, it's, it's gonna stink <laughs> to the Gen Z, right? And to the other uh, generations as well. The next thing I want to talk about is ways to adapt your strategy to be more efficient to the next generation. How can you adapt your strategy based on data? You always want to make decisions based on data and focus on facts, not feelings. But think about the hours that you spend as a recruiter dialing to schedule interviews. Now, personally, as a job seeker in the year 2023, I have not experienced really a single phone call from a recruiter. No one has called me, which is a huge shift from 2020. I was still getting phone calls from people. So I don't know if it has, in my opinion, it probably has everything to do with the pandemic and shifting to work from home and being more efficient with your time and your money for an organization where they found, you know, we used to experience that our Setting an interview ratio to keeping an interview ratio was 50%. When we switched from setting a, an interview over text message um, and keeping a first interview over the phone, it jumped 40% to 90%. That was huge because we didn't have to spend so much more time making these phone calls on the front end to get the same, if not better results. So it's all about the data, right? That is really what's the most important, right? Um, so what we found after hearing from uh, Dr. Mani was we switched to Google Voice or um, TextNow, any of those free text services where you could create a fake phone number because personally, I didn't want candidates having my personal number, calling and texting me on a Saturday. Um, this generation didn't um, grow up in an age where they didn't have access to something. They had access to entertainment 24-7. Uh, they had access to Google and information 24-7. So 
they'll reply to a text when it's convenient for them, especially because they don't want to forget. I mean, we're all in the same boat there, right? So keeping that in mind, um, I used a, a work separate account to text people. And that way I could check it. I would get emails about it so I wouldn't miss it, right? So that was really, really helpful. We found that through texting, it was at least 40%. So it was a 10% increase above that regular ratio. So texting was the way to go. Think about how you can do this in interviews, in your screening, in your scorecards, um, and for retention overall, you know, this generation wants to see the long term. They want to see that opportunity to be loyal, right? So giving them an opportunity to accept a full-time offer prior to graduation, if possible. Um, having that family night, so integrating their mentors, their significant others, their family, their their parents, their guardians, their loved ones, their supporters from their universities or colleges. Um, we used to do that. And we'd bring people in and let them know how their child or how their student is doing. Just thinking about how are there ways that you can adapt your marketing and things like that. One of the ways that I did that when COVID first hit, I knew that TikTok was a huge platform for Gen Z. And personally, Again, kind of being on the cusp, I got sucked in. So I made a TikTok. I sent it out to all the employer partners I could to say like, hey, we are still hiring. This is an opportunity that you should consider since a lot of um, organizations are canceling their summer internship and things like that. So just try to think about ways that you can you know, keep things on your toes and stay innovative and stay relational to the Gen Z generation. All right, so I hope that was helpful in learning more about um, the generation today. And again, just thinking about when you're experiencing those challenges or having those issues, you know, how can you overcome those stereotypes? How can you think broadly across generations of the hierarchy of needs and that at the end of the day, you know, everybody is wanting the same thing and we, we should be in turn trying to help each other. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I invite you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. I will provide a link to our link tree as you can see here on the slide. Um, so you can follow us on all platforms. Our podcast is officially launched on Spotify and I am working on launching it on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can send us a question. I would love to see your questions um, for the next episode when we're going to be diving in on the number one mistake that people make on their resumes. Send us your questions to askintern at gmail.com. So A-S-K-I-N-T-U-R-N at gmail.com. Send me your questions. I would love to answer them and feature some of your questions on our next episode. And we'll see you real soon. Take care. Bye.